0: Welcome to the Bountiful Water Podcast. I'm your host, John Briggs, and today we've got another water story for you. Before we start that story, a quick nod to our sponsor, Retigo Labs is an authorized dealer of Crusader water systems. We've got the best test, so we had to have the best water treatment system on the market. Retigo tests for more than a dozen things that affect water quality and then from that we create a comprehensive profile and with that profile we work with Crusader Water Systems to create a custom system designed just for you. You know, it may surprise you to know that our tests have revealed that each home has different water chemistry. The city sends you the same water as your neighbors but once it enters your home it changes as it flows through the different combinations of plumbing and fixtures and treatment attempts the chemistry changes. You may have wondered why you don't like your tap water, but you go to a neighbor's and theirs is just fine. Have you ever wondered why it seems like you replace water heaters or your neighbor maybe replaces water heaters all the time, but you or your neighbor doesn't? It's not bad luck. It's just chemistry. So, let Retigo Labs take care of the chemistry so you can take care of your family and together we can have perfect water. Okay, As I mentioned, today we'll spend a few minutes telling you a story. Like I mentioned last week, this is a water story, but it's also about some other things. So, we're going to start today's podcast with the story of a man named Willie Durant. The setting is a smallish town along a river. To avoid going too long on the detail, I'll just introduce Willie as a gifted salesman who left high school in the 1880s. So, that's the 1880s before his senior year. Seeking his fortune, he sold everything from lumber to patent medicines like we talked about last week and finally settled on cigars after selling 22,000 cigars three days after starting a new sales job. He obviously was gifted. So Willie traveled on horse or on foot throughout the territory to sell the cigars and after a few years of doing that in 1886, young Durant, aged 24, at that time hitched a ride from his friend who had purchased a new cart. Now, carts up until then had been mostly utilitarian and they were much like what you see as the simple wagons that – are still around today, but these were fixed axle wagons that they had. They were noisy, rigid, uncomfortable things that jarred your teeth and rattled your bones so badly that you really rather walk than ride in one. His friend's cart was very different. Durant had never ridden in a cart like this one. It was small and durable. It had large wheels and two seats, but most importantly, it was very smooth. A clever spring design made it glide nicely on bumps and turns, and even when the horse was moving fast, it was just smooth. So immediately, the salesman in him knew that he could sell something like this easily if it wasn't too expensive. After finding out where his friend got the cart, within one day, this 24-year-old cigar salesman had made the cart manufacturer an offer, secured a loan, and purchased the cart company and the patents and everything for $2,000. He went and sold half of his company to a friend who agreed to manage the business so that Willie Durant could go out and make sales. One of Durant's first marketing ideas was to enter one of the carts in the Tri-State Fair in Wisconsin. To put that in perspective, today that same fair draws more than a million people over a seven-day period each year. So back then, fairs were the place to go see new and innovative items that you would never have had a chance to be near at the time. So, the cart he entered was so smooth, it had such a great ride and it was so innovative that it won the Blue Ribbon, which was a highly marketable endorsement at the time. If you had a Blue Ribbon animal, if you had a Blue Ribbon product, people knew what that meant. It knew that uh, you knew that it had gone into competition against a bunch of other products and won. So, he leveraged that win into agreements with companies in Milwaukee and Chicago to sell carts. So, a few days after that, he returned from that trip with orders for 600 carts. He kept to himself the fact that he only had two made, the one he put in the fair and the one that was back with uh, the manager of the company. So, anyway, this aggressive expansion translated into buying out those that were manufacturing the parts so that they eventually owned every piece of the production. Within 10 years, the company was selling carts all over the US and Canada and even Australia. So, Durant tracked preferences which was something kind of new at the time. He tracked preferences, what people were buying, what they liked and he noticed that the black carts sold best in the east but in the Midwest they preferred a choice of colors. He had all kinds of colors even pinstripes. So by 1901 Durant had transformed that $2,000 investment into a $2 million a year business. By 1906 they were the largest carriage manufacturer in the world and employed as many as a thousand workers a day making 480 carts every day. So, let's fast forward a little bit. Ten years later, in 1904, Durant was approached with a new product, the Horseless Carriage. Henry Ford was in production on these, and we all know who that is. Durant had seen the contraptions that Ford had. He thought they were dangerous. He'd even forbidden his daughter to ride in one. But the businessman in him told him to go check it out. So, he went and he looked at this opportunity, and he was actually very impressed In fact, so impressed that within a few months, he'd bought the rights to this new creation from the inventor, David Buick. Taking a page from his past success, he entered the Buick into a New York show where people could get their first look at a car. Most people had never even seen one. He left that show with an order for more than 1,100 Buicks. So, one of the first things Durant did, based on his experience with varying preferences on the carts was to offer his car in different colors. Henry Ford offered one product in one color, black, because the paint was the cheapest. Black paint was the cheapest, so that was what he offered. With color choices and innovative design, the innovative design of the Buick sales really soared. Durant wanted more than just colors, though. He also wanted to offer different types of cars to people. So one of the first purchases that he made was a car called the Cadillac. By the end of 1908, he'd purchased 13 car manufacturers and 10 auto parts manufacturers, and so began the formation of the world's largest automobile company, General Motors. General Motors started as a little cart company. So why the story? Some gearheads out there probably already know the name of the city where all this started, but most would have no idea, I think. Yet, if you were to ask, or if I were to ask you, which city in America has the worst water, a city appearing in the news for years, I bet many of you would be able to tell me. William Durant's hometown where the world's largest car company resided is Flint, Michigan. I would bet few of you have ever heard of it a couple years ago. Today, you'd really run into very few people who hadn't heard of it. The town wasn't made famous because of the story I just told. As amazing as it was, it was made famous because of the water. The name Flint, Michigan is used all the time as a cautionary tale and as a way to sell bottled water. In many ways, because of Flint, Michigan's water woes, bottled water went from an odd and maybe overindulgent luxury to a product with $18 billion in U.S. sales last year. So what happened in Flint, Michigan? I've asked that question dozens of times with dozens of people. I get answers ranging from the government purposely poisoning its citizens to blaming it on polluted rivers and streams. Each time I get a different answer, but for the most part, people just don't know. As the birthplace of General Motors and as the headquarters of General Motors Holding Company, Flint, Michigan really flourished. By the 1980s, 200,000 people called Flint, Michigan home. By the mid 80s rising oil prices and competition for imports took its toll on this once really prosperous town factories were shut down workers were laid off or relocated and so by the 2010 census the population had dropped by 50 percent leaving only a hundred thousand people remaining and of those citizens 45 percent fall below the poverty line they went from being the center of innovation and automobile production to becoming a city in serious financial trouble. So in 2011, the city carried a 25 th- or $25 million deficit. What the $25 million deficit simply means is that they were spending $25 million more than what they could bring in from taxes. The situation caused them to fall under state control. One of the first things done by the Michigan governor was to appoint an emergency manager. His job was to assess the situation and make cuts and changes so that the bankrupt city could save money. In 2013, this emergency manager saw what looked like an obvious target. In his estimation, Flint had been foolishly squandering money on an out-of-city water source. So, for 50 years, Flint had piped treated water from Detroit. It sure looked like the city could save money by pumping water straight from the Flint River that ran right through town. That just seemed like a great idea. So before knowing anything about this story, you'd probably be ready to conclude that the water itself must have been contaminated in the Flint River. Well, certainly the Flint River had a history of issues, but that river water wasn't being pumped straight into people's homes. It was first cleaned and treated like it is everywhere in the country and then sent out to the residents. As you may have guessed from the General Motors story, Flint, Michigan is an old city. It was founded by a fur trader in 1818, and as it grew, water pipes were installed to bring fresh water to the citizens, as they were in most of the towns. They used the best material available, the same material that had been used for thousands of years for the same purpose. That was lead. Lead is a soft metal, and it had been used for thousands of years to carry water. On the periodic table, you'll find lead under the letters PB. That stands for its Latin name, plumbum. And those that worked with it became known workers of plumbum, or plumbers. Most of Flint, Michigan's water flowed through the old lead pipes. We probably all know that lead is bad for you. You certainly don't want any of it entering your body, but these pipes had worked just fine decade after decade. So, why was it okay with the old water being piped from Detroit, but not the water from the Flint River? Well, water's a funny thing. One of the interesting things about water is that it's constantly seeking to balance itself. If it has too much of something like calcium or magnesium, it will leave that extra stuff behind. That's what you see around your faucets and showerheads in some areas. If the water has too little of something it needs for balance... It will dissolve what it comes in contact with. That's what's called corrosion. You'll see it doing that by the rust that it leaves behind, the stains from the rust that it leaves behind on your fixtures and appliances. So the reason that I mention that is because the water that had been pumped to to Flint, Michigan for 50 years had more minerals than it needed for balance. The unneeded minerals were left on the city's lead pipes. Like I said, it's seeking balance. It didn't need it, so it left it behind on the inside of those pipes. So, a nice layer of scale, much like what you see on the edge of edges of geysers, that same kind of stuff formed and it kept the water from coming in contact with the lead. When the water from the Flint River was introduced, its different chemistry started to dissolve the scale that had been keeping the water away from the lead, again, seeking balance but in a different way. When the new water was done dissolving the scale that it was flowing over, it started leaching lead from the pipes. This story might not have been as big a deal if it weren't for the handling of the issue when brought to the attention of government officials. The complaints were ignored and downplayed for years, which resulted in a large part of the city of Flint being contaminated with lead for 18 months. That included nearly 9,000 children. Before you wonder how much lead is safe, let me give you the answer. It's none. There is no safe level of lead in water. I specifically mention children because they're extra vulnerable. They can suffer from behavior and learning problems, from lower IQ and hyperactivity, slowed growth, hearing problems, anemia. And in rare cases, they can even suffer seizures, coma and death. For pregnant women, it's also terrible. They risk reduced growth of the fetus or premature birth. The lead can also be translated through the breast milk to the babies. For any adult, low levels of lead can have cardiovascular effects like increased blood pressure and hypertension, impaired kidney functions, reproductive problems for both men and women. So the problems in Flint are working their way through the court systems, and we'll learn a bit more when that is all said and done. But in the meanwhile, there have been significant positive developments and innovations inspired by the catastrophic circumstances that people in Flint endured. What does all this have to do with your home? In the last podcast, I mentioned the surprising fact that home inspectors don't check your water quality. I said they check for water damage, but not damaged water. What do I mean by damaged water? Each of us wants healthy, hydrating, and safe water in our homes so our families stay healthy, hydrated, and safe, obviously. It seems that the only way we know how to do that is to buy a fridge filter or bottled water or add a softener because a softener salesman said that everybody needs a softener. What we need is balanced water. Yes, I think everyone needs to filter their water and take control of what they drink, but the water you get from your tap is probably fine. I like the idea of filtering because it gives me a level of confidence that nothing can slip through. And I also have a way to balance it so that it tastes like I want it to taste and has the minerals in it I want it to have. I also think that everyone needs to do something about the hardness in their water. But every softener salesperson I've met treat water like it's the same no matter where you go. As we learn from that Flint story... The next town over probably has water with a completely different chemistry. Well, I'm here to tell you that the water may well be different one house over. So, while developing that uh, TTR2 spectrometer, Retigo Labs found something startling. Every home they tested had different water. Even though the water supplied to their homes was basically the same, the water in the homes right next door to each other had different water chemistry at their tap. The same was true for the businesses that they tested. Not only that, each floor of the business, or even from tap to tap, the chemistry changed. So they found that the water was the same until it entered the home or business, but by the time it got to the tap, it was different. What they found was that due to the unique makeup of each home's plumbing and fixtures, each had different chemistry. Most homes and businesses have a combination of plumbing materials. They might have plastic, then copper, then plastic again, or galvanized then copper, then plastic. The variations go on and on. They're endless. But those combinations, as well as attempts to do a one-size-fits-all water softening, leads to drastic shifts in the water chemistry. I also believe the crisis in Flint caused a large part of the population to move towards bottled water. Up until that issue was publicized, the bottled water market grew about 8% a year at a nice and steady pace. In 2014, when the Flint disaster was being widely reported, bottled water sales jumped to 11%. Then over the next five years, 12%, 13%, 14%, 15%. Today, the majority of Americans are suspicious of their tap water, and they believe that their tap water is probably contaminated. 78% have some sort of bottled water in their homes and they drink it regularly. More than half report two reasons for buying the bottled water, safety and taste. I personally think the safety thing is the stronger reason. We touch briefly on this crazy story of a prosperous city and these poor inhabitants who've really been put through some crazy stuff both economically and some long-term serious health challenges that could have been prevented. As our society grows, each of us are going to need to take control of making sure our water is safe. Absolutely, we do have the right to a reasonable expectation that the water we're getting from the tap is clean and safe and most of the time it is. It's that possibility of issues that keeps me talking about water and hoping we'll all see the importance of taking control of our own water, and our own health. It costs you, like I've mentioned before, an average of $250 a month to do nothing or to do the wrong thing. But balancing your water will save that money and put the control in your hands. So, let Retigo give you that control. Retigo really can give you that control. That's my story for today. Please like the podcast and subscribe so that you'll be notified of new discussions. Leave comments on water-related topics or questions that you'd like to discuss. Check out our website www.retigolabs.com and contact us so that we can show you how to save that $250 a month and get control of your water footprint. If you are a local person and happen to get the Davis County Journal, check out our ad. It's Towards the beginning of the publication, we're running a coupon for 25% off and we also decided to do a $250 gift card to go with the 25% instead of just one or the other like we'd been doing. It's an amazing deal. If you're not local, go ahead and contact Retigo Labs on their website or their Facebook discussion page that's called Bountiful Water Q&A. We'll end with a shout out to our sponsor. Retigo Labs is an authorized dealer of Crusader water systems. We've got the best tests, so we had to have the best water treatment system. Retigo tests for more than a dozen things that affect water quality. From that, we create a comprehensive profile. With that profile, we work with Crusader Water Systems to create a custom system design just for you. It may surprise you to know that our tests reveal that each home has different water chemistry. The city sends you the same water as your neighbor's, but once it gets in your home, it changes. We talked about that earlier in the podcast. The chemistry changes. Your water is different than your neighbor's water, and there's a reason for that, and that's what we discussed in this podcast. It's not bad luck. It's just chemistry. So let Retigo Labs take care of the chemistry so you can take care of your family, and together we can have perfect water. Thanks for listening.